Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Today, middle of the playoffs, yet another guest. I've convinced people to join me on this podcast experiment. It's Dave Dufour. He's coached in Europe. He's done more podcasting than almost anyone on earth with Count the Dings, uh, Nerders She Wrote. Um, He's at The Athletic now. Just got over to The Athletic, does some podcasting and other contributions over there. I mean, he's, I got to say he spent a good five to seven minutes at the beginning prodding me into talking about pop culture things like Game of Thrones and Marvel films. So if you're not interested in that, you can, I think it's six or seven minutes, but very fun chat. As always, any anytime I get to sync up with Dave, he's extremely fun to talk to. And in this episode, just a lot about where we are in the playoffs right now, heading into some Game 7s over the weekend uh, as we record this, the eve of Rockets-Warriors Game 6. So without further ado, my chat with Dave Dufour. Enjoy. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not listening to your intro, so I have no idea if you said good things or bad things about me. All bad. Maybe one good thing? That yeah, I'm I mean, that's, yeah. that's accurate. That's accurate. Only one good thing. You know, it's my beautiful face. Sure. <laughs> well, speaking of your face, to get esoteric right out of the gate, I do miss your Captain Jean-Luc Picard avatar on Twitter. Oh, you don't like the Stone Cold one? It's harder to see. It is. Yeah. It is harder to see. Um, yeah, I, you know, I probably should just go back to my old face logo. Not even old. I mean, it's still like a current logo. But, um, you know, I, I should probably just put my face up there and just my face. <laughs> just super tight shot. You know, all the way like where you with my head tilted slightly up so you can see up the nostrils. Um, <laughs> oh goodness, goodness, goodness! Yeah. goodness. I enjoying? can't believe they did uh, Jorah Mormont like that on his uh, death pyre. You're just was, starting. You could no spoiler warning. Just jumping right in. Well, well, you know, come on. Look, if you watch Game of Thrones and this just spoiled that episode for you, uh, I'm sorry. What do you Sue me. so so what do you this is my first year being live with the with the Game of Thrones updates. What are your thoughts on how NBA Twitter turns into for like a good twenty four to forty eight hours? Listen, I have a I have a take on that. Oh my god. I was so mad last week. Like, look, first of all, I read the books, so I don't really care how the TV show finishes. I'm waiting on the books. I just throw that out there. A purist. But, yeah. But there was a playoff game, right? And part of my job is to be on Twitter. Oh, that, I think that was the Nuggets game. Yeah. Yeah, I had to stay off Twitter. Okay, well, but for me, like an important part of it is to be on Twitter. It, it helps, you know, for, for you know, my notes purposes for our shows and all that stuff. Because I, I follow, you know, like Denver beat writers and Portland beat writers. And I'm getting tidbits in particular because I can't watch 82 games of the Portland Trailblazers. So if they do something that I don't know during the game, I want to see, all right, did is this a big deal? Is this something that that Portland people are picking up on or am I making too much of a big deal out of it? You want to get in sense. you want to get in there for that Steve Jones Jr. play breakdown. Yeah, that's my guy, man. Like right. I mean, he's great at it, right? Him and Mo DeKeel. like you know, so I'm you know, sitting here doing this and next thing you know, NBA Twitter turns into Game of Thrones Twitter and it's like, "Hold on. I thought y'all do you not cover the NBA? And I was on a list too, by the way. I was not like just in my general feed. I was on a list that was just basketball people and uh, and had some stuff spoiled for me last week, which is, I mean, ultimately it's fine. But as a person who, I used to watch big movies a week ahead of everyone else because I lived in Europe. And so the release dates are usually a week ahead. And I, man, I used to be, diligent about not spoiling anything for anybody but now you know what tired of the internet so uh gonna just spoil stuff from now on so is that how it's always been is it par for the course like that i mean we had this i am sure my audience saw this uh, nate duncan tweet yeah that that lit up nba twitter where he basically echoed what you just said right where it's hard I, my default this is, again this is my first time through i just turned twitter off at six o'clock pacific it's smart. Uh, you know, I, I don't know because for so much of it, I already knew what was going to happen. And then, you know, in the ensuing seasons, I, I, I don't know. I, I would take Sundays off and not be on the internet anyway. 
But during the playoffs, it's very hard. That's the other thing is that, you know, this season is a little bit earlier than usual. I love how you just, we're four minutes in and there's no basketball. Right to what you well, want to talk about, Game of Thrones. That's what, that's, <laughs> Actually, what, that's what you really want to talk about. Well, you know, it's like, I'm just, I, I want to hate talk about it. Because you want to so, vent. Well, it's bad. Yeah, the, the writing has uh, it's taken a turn. Listen, think about the buildup. All right, so we've had the buildup to Game of Thrones, right? Two years. The buildup to Avengers Endgame was a year, but really it's been 10 years. And, you know, both of them hit the bed. I liked, uh, I liked, Keep Infinity. It clean. I liked Infinity War oh. better. Yeah, Infinity War was really good. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Endgame was terrible. I mean, I, hold on. It was terrible. Enter- for, it was entertaining. It was. It was. Let's put it this way. It was like if you had five tiers of Marvel movies, it's like lower of the third tier. I'm. I'm glad to hear this take because, I, first of all, I'm down on superhero films anyway. Okay. So, so I'm not like I don't get super jazzed up about most of them anymore. I'm just yeah. saturated. Like, like for me, Logan going in a direction of a superhero western and not even feeling like a superhero movie was the pinnacle to me. I was like, fantastic. Oh, it's, fa- it's amazing. Fantastic. Well, how about Thor Ragnarok? Well, that was very enjoyable because of the subtle yet brilliant turn toward, you know, leaning into the comedy. It was just so... It it, it was a film that suddenly didn't feel like it took itself seriously. I mean, you get Goldblum in the film and it's like plus three right. points for me. Yeah. Um, so I think Thor Ragnarok might be one of my 10 favorite movies ever. Wow. Yeah, I've heard yeah. some of those takes. From, we, we're we like, we have suddenly turned into the ringer now that you're a guest here. <laughs> this is, what is happening? Yeah, um, the, the ringer's recruiting me heavily, I guess. Uh, you know, like KD right now. No, okay. <laughs> before, but, before we yeah. actually talk about basketball, which people are like yeah. rabidly fast forwarding on their phones right now. Um, my take, my here. I had a thought about Game of Thrones with this season, and and you know, connecting to what you're saying about the writing. The first two episodes, I'll try to do this without spoilers, just for posterity. The first two episodes kind of had that slower paced, dramatic character politic feel of the early seasons, right? And and right. And there was something about that that felt kind of titillating kind of exciting you know people were kind of positive oh what's going to happen they're setting these pieces up oh look at the foreshadowing here and uh, we all kind of enjoyed it I think no one was saying this is the greatest thing ever but it was like oh this is this is getting me excited and here's what I realized today what people didn't realize is us as audience members there were only six episodes so you've now eaten up more time setting up things that you can't pay off with only yep. four episodes left and that's what's it's the chickens have come home to roost dave they have i mean listen there's so many look i'm not one of these people that feels like every single you know story thread has to be tied up in a neat little ribbon i just don't i don't think that that's especially something this big it's not possible unless they were to do maybe 12 seasons they could tie up every single little thing. But the stuff that they've chosen to tie up, they're doing poorly. And it feels rushed when you're watching it. And, and I don't like I don't care about the Night King thing. I, I just don't care. Um, you know, it, it was always I, I just I care that they built him up like he was going to be like something. And then he wound up being nothing. That's it. Let's talk about some basketball. Yeah, let's talk basketball. <laughs> this is this is taking a dark turn. I know. Um, I'm just disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. So so there was a minor injury this week to Kevin Durant. I got this wonderful message, which I think synced up with exactly what we wanted to talk about anyway, from a, a Patreon supporter. David sent me this message. He said, hey, Ben, I was wondering your thoughts on the Warriors-Rockets series. Now that Durant is out for the last two games... I'm not sure how much I see it impacting the final outcome of the series. What say you, Dave? Um, I think that in particular for the Rockets series, uh, the the Warriors may be better off with KD out just because of the the way their offense flows when he's not on the court. Well, let's just, let's just start with the obvious. They're up a right. ga- they're up a game. They are up a game. So, right. So they just got to win one right. of the next they, two. They just have to win one of the next two. So mathematically. 
they have a pretty huge advantage. And then I yeah. think it comes, you know, then you can get into, well, are the teams even? Is Golden State still plus? I think that's the, the first big thing for me. So keep keep going on that thought. Yeah, um, and, and so what you get when the, when the Warriors at full strength play the Rockets is that you get a lot of KD isolation. The ball tends to stick quite a bit in his hands. And it's not like I'm saying that he's being a ball hog because that's definitely not it. Um, it's just that there's this extra half a beat when they play the Rockets. And it that's the difference between Clay coming off a screen and being open or Clay coming off a screen and having a contested three. And that extra half a beat matters. And, and I think with him not out there, you won't see that. You know, Clay and, and Steph will probably have big games. I expect them to, to win game six. You expect the Warriors to win game six. Yeah, I do. I can. I mean, I certainly can see that. I'm not even sure how big of an underdog I would consider them in that game. I, well, Vegas has them as seven-point seven, underdog. Yeah, yeah, it's the biggest. So, so I read two stats on that that I thought were fascinating. One, it's the biggest playoff uh, deficit that they've been as an underdog in this era and in the playoffs. And two, I believe... In the 33 games, there was some stat that I read that it was 33 games or something without Durant in the last few years, and they're 29 and four. Is that could that be right? Yeah, they're incredible when he's not out there. Right, and so you go back to 2016 where they were 73 and nine. Yeah, um, I'm not really sure. I, I I can see them being underdogs just because of home court advantage. Let's put it that way. But sure. Other than that, I, I'm. Oh, well, here's another here's another element that I think we should discuss. Their depth. Because, <laughs> they have none. Right. So it's not just like you're removing Durant from the team and letting letting a normal organism prosper. You're 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 like removing a limb and asking someone else to be a crutch in there because at a certain point the offense can be the same. You can still have the, you know, Draymond and Clay and Steph and all the motion principles. You can still have that. But the, what are they down to, like, five bodies that are playable? I mean, listen, it depends on how you feel about Alfonso McKinney, how you feel about Sean Livingston, how do you feel about, uh, you know, Quinn Cook. I think Quinn Cook is going to get minutes. Um, I, I would, if I were Steve Kerr, every single time Harden leaves the floor, subs. Quinn Cook in for Steph Curry. I think I was that's really interesting. I want to come back to that. But just yeah. to be clear, I was including Sean Livingston in the five live bodies mm-hmm. that they have. You, you can count them up, right? It's it's Steph, it's Clay, it's Draymond, it's Igadala, and then It's Looney. Looney, but is it Looney? You know, he I think he played twenty two minutes in game five. Is yeah. it is it Looney for thirty like he played really well? But can he play larger minutes? That's one big question. And secondly, uh, you know, does he start to get attacked more and more in certain situations? Well, all right. So first of all, Looney has held up very well against the Rockets historically. Uh, he had a rough start to this series, and I don't really know why, but um, he was really, really good in game five. I mean, it was a great Looney game. Um, I think that's going to be their main lineup. Now, they're probably going to start with Bogut instead of Looney just because I think Kerr likes to keep his rotations kind of as similar as he can. As he can. Um, and so bringing Bogut into the starting lineup is a little bit easier than, than Looney because then you're not trying to fill those Looney minutes. Um, and, I, and I actually think Bogut can be successful against the Rockets in limited minutes. Like if he, if he starts and plays five minutes and then starts in, uh, the third and plays five minutes, that's pretty – that's a – it's only ten minutes, and and I think he can hold up for that long against Capella. Um, but, but it's a it's a quarter of the minutes that you need to fill up with Durant, so it yeah. gets you it gets you well, somewhere. I expect Looney's going to go twenty six to twenty eight, and then I would not be shocked if he actually dusts off Jordan Bell, who was a guy that who, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a guy who he should have been building up all year just for this series, um, and is largely forgotten. But you know. Get him. I think you just have to throw him in there, and and hope he can, you know, make something happen. I mean, maybe you can speak to this as a coach, because I think one of the most interesting things when you sit in the middle of a playoff series, and as outsiders we say, "Hey, why doesn't he dust off player X?" To me, how do we know 
necessarily what's happening in practice, especially in a series like this where it's going to be your defensive vulnerability that's going to keep you off the court. How do you know that there aren't very, very good reasons? I'm not talking health. I'm just saying like scheme scheme implementation uh, and matchup in terms of executing personnel-specific game plan. Uh, I we may see Jordan Bell get dusted off, but I've seen a lot of people criticize the idea that Bell has been taken out of the rotation. And this is a championship team, unless you're really right. advocating for player development. I would imagine there's a good reason behind it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, my my big issue with the Jordan Bell thing is just that there's been no development, and that that has to fall on everyone, right? Like that's the, that's the team's problem. That's his problem. You know, um, I think that. In a, ser- in, in a series like this, it definitely does the team a disservice to not have another playable body. It doesn't help him. And so, you know, we know Jordan Bell is healthy. We know he's an athlete. We know that he's done stuff. He's played in the playoffs. I, I think that he might get a shot just out of necessity. I don't think this is going to be one of those things where he's like the secret weapon they've been holding behind, you know, just, you know, break glass in case of emergency. I think that this is more... Uh, uh-oh, we need another body, and Jordan Bell is healthy and available. I think he would be more impactful than Jonas Jarebko. Yeah, I mean, Jarebko played, I think he only played six minutes the whole game, but yeah. most of them, if not all, were after the Durant injury, right? Right. Yeah, which was interesting. Uh, perhaps just riding with a crew that was functioning at the time. Um, but, I mean, you're... You're making me think of a side topic that <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a tendency to tip yeah, through that. Yeah, yeah, lo and behold. But I mean, if you are a championship team, maybe with the exception, I'm trying to rack my brain here, maybe with the exception of the Spurs, who are dynastic. I mean, they went forever. But how easy is it to develop players in this mold and bring them along, knowing full well, A, that you've got big mouths to feed uh, who are carrying you. The superstars are always carrying you. And B, when you get to the postseason, your rotations are going to get tighter. I mean, how many great championship sustained teams develop young players well like this? Uh, I mean, it's difficult. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. You know, well, that's the number one thing. Well, I think right? if it were easy, you would see uh, maybe even the same level of player development on title teams. I think baked into my question is this idea that maybe if you're a title team, it's not easy to just bring along, you know, first of all, you have lower draft picks. Sure. Right? That's one thing. You, yeah. You got you to gotta get a little luckier. Right. Or be smarter. One so, of the two. So that's the obvious uh, difference between sort of a standard run-of-the-mill team. But secondly, you are always in the pressure cooker at the end of the year, and you've got big mouths to feed during the year. I remember the 90s Bulls. Yeah, you know Phil Jackson would always early in the year dust off guys who were like from the scrap heap and give the I, you know Rusty Larue was playing minutes when <laughs> when Scottie Pippen injured his ankle in '98. Yeah, so so there's always like this effort, but you know that would be an interesting project maybe to to well, look at. Here's the here's the thing: as a coach, like your your natural tendency is going to be to go with the people you trust, right? So let's say Jordan Bell in practice is like a 90% three-point shooter. If you haven't seen that in a game, you're not going to trust it. That's just that's coach brain. That's just how it works. And we haven't seen that in a game. So I don't care how good he's been in practice. When he's been in games, he has not been great. And that, and that stuff will stick with you as a coach. Um, now, But right now, they're in a position where they just need a body. And I think Jordan Bell... I would try Jordan Bell instead of Jarepko. Just because... Athletically, I think he stands more of a chance to to create something. Whereas Jarebko, you you know he's not going to make too many mistakes, and maybe that's all you want in those you know five or six minutes, and, and that's fine too. Well, but but back to your back to your other your other question, I do think that when you look at the teams that have sustained success, player development is a huge part of that. I mean, you know, the Spurs are like the role models of this. But other teams have done it too. I mean, even the Warriors, they, like they they found a way to have Pat McCaw be useful that one year. <laughs> um, but they've they've like Quinn Cook, I think, is a useful player. Like 
he's he, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten more minutes, especially you look at the last three games and Steph Curry's played 43, 4, 44, 43, and 44. That's a lot of minutes for Steph Curry. It's a lot. And so I'm I'm surprised that Quinn Cook hasn't you know been able to come in here and there. And I, I expect that now with KD out, he, he's going to get some run. But um, I do think that the sustained success requires you to draft well uh, or pick up guys in free agency that are cheap. You know, I, I call it winning on the margins, like uh, signing Thomas Bryant type. Is is how you win on the margins. You yeah, sign a guy yeah. who's like a fourth or fifth year big. You know, bigs are usually bad until year six anyway. Um, so you sign them cheap, you get some production out of them, and so you know that kind of stuff. That's huge. And and the Warriors they didn't do a good job of that the last two years, which is why we're seeing their depth really suffer. Yeah, and that that depth I've seen a lot of people say, hey, you know, we're getting a precursor to if Durant leaves. But again, there's a big difference. You, you don't have a fully constructed right. roster around them. And I think the thing that is so fascinating, that is set up so well for this weekend, uh, much better than Game of Thrones, wink, wink, uh, is this idea that, you know, the Rockets with Paul and Harden, they, is this their shot? The Warriors back to their sort of OG construction of the team with, with Steph and Clay increasing in primacy and... Is only you know three games. That's it. Two games. Yeah, I can't do math. I can't count to two. That was impressive. <laughs> I heard Harrison Barnes is going to be in Houston. I'm making that up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so so speaking of Curry, I wanted to talk to you about Curry as well. I released a video this week that had to do with his gravity. Yes, and. When you are on YouTube, there's a lot of people and you hear a lot of different kinds of content, uh, uh, feedback and comments and differing opinions, things like this. What what struck me that I think maybe you can speak to in your experience on the on the interwebs is that Twit, uh, Steph Curry, he seems to be hated by a particular contingent of fan in a way that I did not really fully tap into until I made this video. Okay. And are you do you know what I'm speaking to? Oh, I know what you're saying, but I'm trying to figure out where you're going. I'm not going anywhere. I'm okay. I'm, I'm I want to discuss this. It is somewhat amazing. I've lived through and written about and been in the midst of extremely polarizing players from Kobe to LeBron James now, and there's something there's something I've I've commented on this before, but there's just something off with the way people react to this guy, like I'm sure a lot of it has to do with his appearance and that he's short and things of this nature. But to put this in perspective, I mean, the video is really about how he draws defenders toward him. Right. And you like you almost have people going, no, he doesn't do that. Despite the fact that there is video evidence and every coach that's ever coached against him, including Doc Rivers in the first round, said... We have our entire game plan is to stop Steph Curry. And it just didn't happen. And the fact that he's the greatest shooter ever, and what basis would you have to even are it's, you're almost at that point being like, no, those three pointers didn't go in. Right. I mean, some of the con- basically what I what I heard from a small but loud chorus of people is, no, that's not true. You must be in a secret romantic relationship with Stephen Curry. This is I get the same thing. I, first of all, I think Steph Curry is the best player in the league. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I think he's the best player in the league. Um, and, and hands down. Like, I, I don't even think it's particularly close. And it's because of the effect that he has on opposing defenses. We're warming up now, Dave. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I've said this just about anywhere I could. The best offense in NBA history would be Steph Curry shooting the ball 60 times. That'd be fun. Yeah, be amazing. But he doesn't play that way. And so the fact that he doesn't play that way is what gives this perception. Because he can sometimes disappear, as we saw, right? Like, him playing the right way looks like he's not doing anything. Meanwhile, you've got five guys on defense worried about Steph Curry. So, and so Durant it, can score 45 because Curry's on the court. Like, Durant makes it look easy. And Durant, by the way, probably the most gifted scorer we've ever had in the league. 
And he's a seven-foot alien sent here to put the ball in the hoop. That's it, right? Like, he is incredible at that. He, Steph Curry makes it even easier for him. Durant's 6'9", and I will die on that hill. He's not 6'9". He's, he is. Have you seen him stand next to Dwight have, Howard, who's 6'9"? I've seen him stand next to many people of that height. Uh, is Dwight Howard 6'7"? He's not, he doesn't tower. Come on, he doesn't tower over Dwight Howard. Oh, he's got him. He's got him by a couple. Inches. I need the photographic evidence. Also, hey, it, to a to a normal heighted person, six nine is seven feet. Okay, that's true. Let's just you know, you analytics guys. Hey, I'm a little <laughs> higher up in the clouds than you. Yeah, that's so. okay. I can jump higher. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, prob- probably true. Um, yeah. So Steph Curry, Steph Curry is just. Uh, we've never seen anything like him. And and the way he plays is different than what we consider superstar basketball. Superstar basketball is is really like it's it's a construct from the seventies and eighties, back when the defenses were different, when the game was different. We think about Michael Jordan creating for himself one hundred percent of the time. Not Michael Jordan giving up the ball and then cutting, which happened a lot, by the way, in the triangle. Cutting and getting a layup or a dunk or, you know a mid-ranger or whatever. So all of our images of Michael Jordan are, oh, a lot of them are, the post-up fadeaway and dribbling into that mid-ranger elbow extended. Right, and I think what comes with that is the the physical dominance over the defender, even if you're not seven feet tall, the ability to jump and shoot over the defender, yeah, make difficult shots that you're creating yourself. And what I find so interesting about that is, of course, Curry doesn't fit that archetype, but he makes crazy difficult shots that he creates himself as well. They're just all from outside the arc. And because he's not jump, you know, jumping higher and he's not creating a release point that at the last second, the ball just teardrops over the defender's challenge. You know, that Kobe over Shane Battier yep. contest that this is somehow viewed as illegitimate. Right. We, we can't. Well, we can. But some people can't wrap their head around it because it looks too easy. And and I want to bring up something here because one of the things that drives me the most crazy is this: there's this idea that Steph Curry disappears in the playoffs. It's just not true. The numbers do not bear it out. So, this, so I've studied this. Yeah, I've okay, studied this, so, and and the, it it comes from a it comes from a reasonable place in the sense that, and this is my issue with Curry, he actually has a huge drop off over the course of his prime. To me, it's completely because of his injured postseasons. If you filter out his injured postseasons, he doesn't have a drop-off. I'm speaking statistically here. I'm saying even with his injured postseasons, if you take if you take the, what do we want to call it, tw- uh, from 2012 to 2019, um, his averages per game, 25.6 points per game, 43.6 uh, three-point percentage. Um, let's see. Well, he's still great. He's right. Still, he's still that's, great. Just, that's regular season. I'm right. Saying. Just in terms of the change. In the playoffs, though, he's scoring the same amount. He's uh, His three-point percentage is slightly lower, like 3%, um, on higher volume. I, I just – I just here's my thing. My, my one gripe about Steph Curry is that he needs to value possessions more. If he did that, he'd be better. Um, but I still think – I think he's one of the 10 best players to ever play, like right now, today. If he never played another regular season basketball game, I think he's one of the 10 best basketball players to ever play in the NBA. Well, I've, I've been on record uh, with Nate Duncan, I think, talking about how his 2016 season, to me, if he had finished that season healthy, yeah, could have been the best season in NBA history. Well, the regular season was. The regular season was, I do not think people understand how crazy his regular yeah. season was to lead the NBA in scoring and efficiency. Yeah. Well, warping defenses. Well, it was one of his best passing seasons. I mean, the whole thing was yep. insane. Yeah. Uh, he got, uh, he was almost at seven assists a game on a team that moves the ball the way they do. You know, this was always a knock because people can't, again, counting stats really, really screw things up. And, and in particular, because we don't focus on hockey assists. And and there's just so many factors to like basketball, and, and assists are meant for novices. Right? If you don't understand the sport, you can say, okay, well this guy gets he helps get seven buckets per game for for his teammates. And if you're just a novice and or a casual fan, 
that makes a lot of sense to you. But when you factor in a team like the Warriors or like San Antonio, you know, Tony Parker was a fantastic point guard for a long time. And I want to say, uh, let me, I'm actually going to pull this up because I want to, I want to be accurate on this. You're going to say he's like a six assist guy or something for his career. Yeah. Yeah. He's 5.6 assists. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this I know. One. Well, yeah, I mean, now this... I'm preaching at your listeners. Well, they they know. <laughs> they, know. Be- they know because so much of my work has been about taking the assist and breaking it apart and saying, like, as a raw metric, it actually doesn't do much. No, it tells you nothing. But this is where things that I've developed over the years, like passer rating or box creation, which tries to estimate exactly what you're talking about. Like, can you bend the defense and create shots, but you don't get credit because there's a hockey assist? Can you capture that in a way that's beyond assists? The answer is, yeah, we kind of can. But if you just look at assists by themselves, they don't really tell you much of anything. Right. Exactly. I mean, this is why, like, Russell Westbrook is leading the league in assists. This doesn't matter. So so Curry, going back to him, yeah. he's actually one of the higher shot creation players. I have a historical database that I share with my patrons. It goes back to, like, 1955, the shot clock. And he's one of the higher shot creation players ever. And I think when you start to combine, here's here's why I think his offense is so off the charts bonkers. And if you're not immediately going, oh yeah, I need to have a conversation about how he may be the best offensive player ever, you're missing it. Because his scoring volume is up near Michael Jordan. His right. e- his efficiency is up near Tyson Chandler, <laughs> which doesn't even make any <laughs> right. sense. Which yeah, makes he, no sense. He's efficient <laughs> like a center. <laughs> he was he was he for for most of 2016 he was trying to be 70 percent true shooter, yeah. which is 1.4 points per scoring attempt or or shooting possession, however you want to look at it. It's the equivalent of shooting 70 percent on twos. And in addition to that, we could even table the fact that he's a pretty good passer. Just in addition to that the amount of offense he creates for his teammates is also near the upper ranks of what you'll ever see. And you wrap that into one player and you got problems if you're the defense. Yeah. Also, he's, uh, you know, he finishes at the basket traditionally. He's <laughs> at pretty, a ridiculous he's, rate. He's good at, you know, he's quite good at that. And I think the least discussed thing about Steph Curry in the last few years is his body transformation. Oh, yeah. Although, if you look at, like, I actually watched a Davidson-Oklahoma game uh, that was on, uh, I don't know, it was on some some sports channel the other day, and now, I just now randomly just, saw it. Now you're just showing off. Yeah, I mean, it was just on TV, right? Like, regular TV. And it, so it was 2008, so Steph Curry against Blake Griffin. Um, and, you know, you look at him, and you're like, okay, he's skinny, but he was he had good definition, good body definition. So... He just, I think he just grew up, right? Like most of us at 20, 21 aren't what we are at, you know, 27, 28, 29, right? Most of us get thicker. Oh, I'm and that's sp- part of it. I'm and he's sp- trained himself though. Right. And I'm speaking specifically to the last three years Yeah, where he was, he was bumped around a little in the 2016 playoffs. And in the last couple seasons, his upper body, he has added muscle. He has added sort of uh, breadth to his frame. Go look at a 2016 well, picture of him compared to how he looks today. They say, they say that he's the, uh, when they do like deadlifts and things like that, he's the strongest guy on the team. Um, the, the, the trick for him coming back from those ankle injuries were deadlifts and squats, right? Strengthening that whole lower chain. And you, you saw it in his finishing because he, it's funny because he doesn't go to the line as much as he should. I think that that's pretty obvious. Um, but he doesn't really go around contact like Kyrie Irving does, which is why when Kyrie Irving finishes, they're, they're incredible finishes because he completely contorts his body to avoid contact. Steph does a really good job. He gets into the defender. Um, when he's got a, a defender coming to chase him down, he actually slows up to try to, to draw that contact. He just doesn't get the call. And that's something that I think wouldn't happen if he was bigger. I think he would get more calls if he was 6'7". So can we can we jump, based on this idea of core strength, to Kawhi Leonard? Yeah. Because one of my videos that I'm working on is on Kawhi, and the thing that I th- I'm, I'm trying to find historical comparisons, 
not asking you to come Michael up with Jordan. one off the top of your head. Michael Jordan. Ma- ma- well, <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. A- an All historical right. comparison for his core strength, his functional core strength as a penetrator in basketball. He discard now the you, you may think of someone obvious like LeBron or some some giant, but with Kawhi, he's not as big. He doesn't weigh as much. He's not necessarily as broad, so that means, you know, dipping the shoulder or getting by right. someone. It's it's literally I have like dozens and dozens of plays that I just keep watching over and over. I can't even figure it out. He is so strong with his base strength mm-hmm. that he just discards people when he gets around the basket yeah talk to me about this he's like michael jordan i I, i'm not even kidding like not only does his game kind of look like michael jordan and a lot of it is the way he uses his hands because jordan had giant hands too um but he has clearly his trainer has has said look we're gonna watch film of michael jordan doing this and then you're gonna do it that way the whole the way he dunks in in tight spaces and in traffic because he's able to use his hands like he's not it, it's funny man a lot of guys will will revert to that floater in tight spaces but he doesn't have to because he's not worried about losing the ball um he he can hit that little two-footed off the baseline dunk the one-handed guy that that Jordan used to do all the time his fadeaway very a lot of low body strength there well but you can see clearly that. patterned after R- Jordan right you can right. see it on that shot i think it's most notable on that shot i call it the hovercraft yeah, because he can hang forever. It's well the whole the the balance of the whole thing is just never off center. When when I come out to L.A., uh, we're going to go to the gym and I'm going to show you my fadeaway. Oh my goodness! And I, I, like the thing is, I mean, like it's very similar, and, and I can <laughs> I I mean really no, I mean I patterned I patterned my fadeaway after Michael Jordan. I'm just not you know six six. Um, can you but, still jump? Not like I not like I could like five years ago. I I, I played basketball at someone's birthday party yeah. recently, and uh, someone asked me to dunk. It did not go over well, Dave. Yeah, see, I can still grab the rim, but I'm not getting the ball over it anymore. I had a I had a bad ankle injury a few years ago, and it just it just has never like gotten back to normal. Just just um, just so the listeners know your level of humor, um, remind them how tall you are. I'm five nine, with the ups. Yeah. This is not my humor. Oh, you mean so they don't think I'm joking? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not a joke. Um, but yeah, I just I can't anymore. Um, but I can still grab the rim. I I, I feel like me. I feel like wait, what? No way. I can't grab the I cannot get a good grab on the rim anymore. You're six four? In shoes. Okay. Yeah, well do you play basketball barefoot? No, but there's this whole okay. thing historically about listing your height sure. in shoes versus listing your All height. Right. So I'm five ten in shoes. Yeah, so I have a friend who's six nine. Uh-huh. And he calls himself six nine and people think he's the same height as quote unquote six nine basketball players, but he's not. Right. He's the same height as six eleven <clears throat> basketball players. Right. So I'm just clarifying that. <laughs> That's it. That's all. <laughs> right. That's all I'm doing. What were right. we talking about? We were talking about uh, lower body strength, Kawhi Leonard. And, and listen, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that he puts the work in. I mean, you look at his body, and he's just he's incredible. But the way the control he has on over his body is a lot. Uh, a lot of that comes from the way he just plays the game. He never looks rushed, and he never looks tired. And I think that those two go hand in hand, right? He's not tired because he doesn't feel rushed. Even like short shot clock situations, there are some guys that look frenetic out there. Kawhi is not that dude. And it's funny that the joke on him is that he's a robot. That's exactly the way he plays. It's not robotic. He's very fluid. But like emotionally, he just doesn't, doesn't seem to be uh, out of control ever. And that helps him maintain that strength throughout the game. This is why like third and fourth quarters, he's still doing what he's doing at the beginning of games. So as we're recording this, there's a game seven between Philadelphia and Toronto coming up. Do you have strong thoughts on this game? What do you? I mean, this series to me, I have been impressed mightily by Philadelphia being able to win three games. I think, I think it's lowered my. I've seen slightly more cracks that I was wondering about in Toronto. I'm impressed with what Philadelphia has done to some degree. I've already commented on this recently in terms of giving Jimmy Butler more primacy and and 
you know, expanding some stuff in the offense. But what are, what are your thoughts as we go into Game 7 on either the whole series or, you know, the final game? Uh, I, I'm expecting Toronto to win because every other game in this series, the, the one of the teams has forgotten how to play basketball. And Toronto did that in Game Six. So, but it's do you think Philly's that's turn. it? Do you think that's it? Do you think it's it's just I, about them forgetting to play basketball and having I, a bad night? The, Toronto missed so many wide open looks that they want to get. Um, at a certain point, they're going to fall. Maybe not though. You know, I, I don't know. Like Philly has so much high end talent, especially compared to Toronto, which really I think that Toronto has the best player, and then. Philly might have the three next best players. And then I, then maybe you've got Siakam as like the fifth best player in this series. So that's an imbalance. And Toronto's bench has been awful. Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, Norm Powell, just not getting it done. And then if you have games like game six, where you have Danny green and Marcus all only giving you 15 points on 16 shots, it's a recipe for disaster. So Toronto, you know, I worry about Toronto because they just don't have enough bodies. For Philly, you know, you get Mike Scott come out and score 11 points. James Ennis might do something. They just have more guys. Um, and I should have known this going into the series. I just thought Toronto, you know, I thought those role players were were so good that there's no way they were going to drop off like this. But Philly is really giving them trouble. So I honestly don't know what's going to happen in Game 7. It's a little bit more fun that way. How do you feel about Gasol's role offensively? I, he passes up so many open shots. Right, right. And, and it's it's a bummer, man, because he needs to shoot him. He's a good shooter. He needs to shoot him. But when he passes it up, so often it's to Kyle Lowry who's open, and Lowry's going to freaking pass up the open shot. It's flustering as a coach to watch them do that. Um, like my one cardinal rule is if you are open, you have to shoot. We work hard on offense to get open shots. If you're not going to take them, then why are you out there? And I think Marcus Saul just needs to shoot. Like uh, he, the open pa- the open shots that he's passing up are just ridiculous. It, ugh, it's so annoying. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's... I don't yell at the TV very often. <laughs> I've been yelling at Marcus Saul this entire series. My dad yells at the TV a lot. I'm not old enough to yell at the TV. You know what? I, you know, what, like he legit yells at it. Like they can hear him. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, when I'm playing FIFA, sometimes I'll yell in the direction of the TV. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you got me today, Dave. Yeah? You got me multiple times. Good. Yeah. Um, where were we? So, yes. Marcus All. Marcus All. Is garbage. Actually, no, that's not no. true. He's doing a good job defensively. Right, right. On Embiid, but they need offense out of him. That's That's the thing with Toronto that has kind of struck me in terms of these little concerns that I was on the fence about. It just where is more offense going to come from? And you've seen stats probably floating around the internet about Toronto's offensive rating with Kawhi Leonard off the court. First of all, that's a lot of noise. No one has an offensive rating of 40. That So, like, just set your expectations. Sure, but, but one game, it, it tells a story. But, exactly, it starts to tell a story. And that story is that whatever is going on with the structure of their offense, and and Mo Dockiel, when he was on the podcast earlier in the year, mentioned this. They have you a had different... Mo on the podcast before you had me. Wow, disrespectful. You said that last time we talked. <laughs> <laughs> with Mo there, you actually said yeah, that in yeah. front of Mo. <laughs> um, now you're just recycling <laughs> jokes love, for I, a public I, audience. That's it. Yeah. Well, that come on, it's a bit right. Like you know. Don't worry, I'll use that joke on the next podcast, too. Where was I? What was yeah. I saying? They have a different offense with Kawhi on and off the court. And the thing that has really sort of been alarming to me, I see I look at the flip side of the coin. A lot of people say, wow, Kawhi is carrying this team. His isolation scoring is incredible. His mid-range shots are incredible. All true. But you know what? You know what's an issue? No one else is being uh, given... Um, no one else is stepping up and scoring. They don't have other points of attack. I thought Embiid switching on to Siakam was basically neutering. I was like, right Which when that happened. Which makes no sense. Right when that happened. 
It, honestly, like Siakam should be able to abuse that matchup. Well, and I, part of it is Siakam also won't shoot because Embiid's not not coming out to the three point line. He's not trying to chase him off. They want Siakam to shoot the three, and Siakam should shoot him. So here's what here's what I want your take on as a coach because what I've seen is miss schematic opportunities. If he's in the corner, he'll shoot it right. He's comfortable shooting the corner three. But he doesn't like taking the above the break three, and Philadelphia and Embiid will completely concede that. But there are a number of plays I've seen on film where he can cut to a certain spot and punish the way they're playing that, and he doesn't. Or, and they've done it a few times, another thing uh, that I would see as an option there is how about throwing a ball screen and actually activating Siakam's ability to drive and kick versus... Siakam's alone in space at the three-point line. He doesn't want to shoot the three. He can't drive into Embiid because Embiid's living in the paint waiting for him. Yeah, I think a ball screen. A ball screen, great. yeah. Ball How about anything? anything? How about anything? Just do anything beyond what they're doing right now, which is Embiid's hanging with one foot in the paint, waiting for Siakam to drive, and Siakam tries to drive around him, or he takes you know two weird hesitation dribbles, uh, into the three-point line and then passes to Kyle Lowry, who's wide open, who then passes to Marcus Saul, who's wide open, who then passes to Nick Nurse, who's on the bench. This this is like some sort of uh, bizarro who's on first. It really is. Right. And it's so frustrating because this team, this is not what this team was all year. This And this is not what, what they were in that Magic series. Uh, Siakam looks a little shook by the, uh, by the playoffs. I wonder if some of that is that he knows him you know he has this like big brother relationship with Embiid it, maybe it might be I wonder I this is something that I've tried to try to put forth to my friends that do like advanced analytics and things like that is that there's not enough focus you haven't put it toward me well then then we'll talk about it but and you with your behavioral background this might be right up your alley but I think there's not enough focus on the emotional parts of basketball like you're not it's not a simulation and too often it's treated as such and and i'll be honest like i'll, I'll watch a, a team throughout the whole regular season and make assumptions based on that and about 60 percent of the time i'm right the 40 percent of the time i'm not it's because i didn't factor in oh that's right this is like pascal siakam uh is a third year in the league and he's being asked to be like the second best player on the team and that's a different thing in the playoffs. I just didn't think that, you know. Um, but then you have a team like the Bucks, where it's like, okay, well, almost all these guys have kind of been there before, so I can trust them. But I, I think that we don't think about that enough when we're discussing what happens, in particular in the playoffs. I think that emotional part, the, the youth, um, and then how they deal with stressors. I mean, again, just the Embiid angle for Siakam. No, like, I didn't think about that. Till you just said it. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. I, so. I think you're getting into a couple things, though. One is age. You know, that is that is quantifiable. So, you know, we could, we could account for that in some capacity, whether it's a statistical prediction or a model or any kind of analytics work you do. But there are very real factors that any good scientist – worth his salt or her salt is going to account for that sometimes you just can't measure. I, I feel this way about basketball when it comes to things that happen behind the scenes, not just in the locker room, but in practice. Practice. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about practice. We are. Like, no, legitimately, like on this podcast, I'm making a point about practice playing a role in analytics. And as it... As well, it absolutely should and for some teams it does right 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 but there in the are public... teams that track it exactly and in the public sphere we can't touch that right so that would be a great example of sort of this this stuff that someone on the outside at the end of the year may say oh absolutely you're, you're not accounting for the emotional or psychological piece but really it's because we can't measure you know this thing happened in practice we can't measure it right well i mean i i don't know like like dwight howard shooting 90 percent on free throws in practice you know how how useful is that? Is that is that what the number was? It was something crazy because it's always higher. Yeah, you, yeah, you talk to shooting course. coaches. I wonder if you. I shot ninety eight percent on free. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Uh, yeah, it's always something. It's always something crazy because they want to boost their guys, right? The the coaches do, right? The, the, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No players like coming out like Dwight Howard. If he came out and said, "Yeah, I shoot ninety percent in practice," like he would never live that down. So you're not going to get that from a player. Um, but yeah, not having access to the practice data, it, it, you know, that's a thing. This is why I trust team people to to kind of have uh, more insight than I do. And so I assume. If something that I think is obvious, like uh, an adjustment that's obvious that they're not making, I assume that it's for good reason, except for Steve Kerr not running Steph Curry pick and rolls. There's no reason to not do that. Well, there might be a, a delicate ego balance to Well, there's manage. definitely that. Yeah. 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 But he wasn't doing that before. I mean, even in that 15-16 season, Steph didn't really get a lot of pick and roll. Well, maybe maybe there's a larger philosophical point about oh, developing 100%. the system. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Very zen. Yeah. Before I let you go, one more, also from Patreon. It's from David. He said, "I want same to, guy. Same. He just he funds this whole podcast. Oh, that's like, impressive. Like when I say that my Patreons help me produce content, it, it's it just is, the one guy. It's not. I was going to say it's not fluff. They literally generate the content. But it. But today it's just the one guy. Okay. <laughs> um, did I even get to this question? Did we make it no. to this? question? What's the question? What's the question? It's it's about Jokic. Okay. And that's the last series that I wanted to touch on. Another game seven coming up. He had an interesting question, and we don't have to take it at face value right now because we're tight on time but he, he basically said this is Jokic's first time in the playoffs what do you think of Jokic's performance is he having the best statistical first run of any player in NBA history um I'm not going to do the statistical analysis on this so if I'm wrong um you know don't hold it against me 40 percent of the time but yes <laughs> yes, yes he's he's been incredible yeah he's pretty good He's been incredible. Hey, he, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, uh, a steal, almost a block, um, shooting 40% from three. Like, yes, it's just insane. Insane. Here's, here's the analytical point I'll make on this without actually doing the research. He's played two opponents. Yes. He's played San Antonio, and he's played Portland. I yes. would describe those as favorable matchups for him. And so what that means is when you look at his postseason, it's still a very small sample. You want to keep that in mind. You don't have to you know, punish players or boost them severely, but you want to keep in mind, okay, in this setting, this player had a favorable matchup. The next season, we've, we see this throughout the course of NBA history, you don't always run into your kryptonite the first time around. And that affects people's narratives and perceptions of how they talk about these guys. This guy's great. You know, LeBron was flawed until, you know, whatever, because of Dallas or Boston or, well, they didn't say that when he was playing Detroit in 2007 or whatever. You know, that's maybe not the best example, but that's, that's my only takeaway from an analytics perspective is whatever the numbers come out to be, just keep in mind that your sample size, you only get to play one, two, three opponents as you go through this. Right. And if you have a nice matchup, you will look really good. And if you have a poor matchup, you won't look as good. And to me, this is just my philosophy, I don't really think that changes how good you are as an actual player. Sure. You disagree. It, no, no, I'm just, it's There's good skepticism run. in here, your, here. I think you're overthinking it. This is what I'll, I've I'll, never I'll, been accused of that before. Yeah, you're overthinking basketball here. Um, That's the which, sequel. Yeah, that's the sequel. sequel that's the one to I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to do that one. You can't, Overthinking basketball. You can't seek, You can't take my sequel title. That's, Says who? It's trademarked. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> so overthinking. You're I got you on that it. one. Yeah, you did. You're overthinking this one. Um, he's having a nice run, right? You have to play the teams that are in front of you. And certainly, like, next year, if he runs into the Warriors in the first round and, and, and they... You know, he doesn't look as good. Or even this year, if he plays the Warriors in the, in the conference finals and he doesn't look as good, although I think his numbers are going to look great, um, we can start to, to adjust the conversation. But he's having a good run. That's it. Um, I don't think you need – like, there is a point in which uh, I think we suck the fun out of stuff by overanalyzing it. 
because he can't choose his opponent. It's not like he could say, "I want, I want to play the Sixers, and I want to see if I can, you know, put up, you know, a triple double against Embiid in a series." You get what I mean? That would be awesome. I first think he of all. would. And secondly, it, it's interesting. Okay, I I totally get your point. It's I think that actually the the seed the like we should go one through sixteen, and you pick, and you pick who you play. Yeah, starting at the top. What I what oh, I man, what I find so idea. interesting about what you just said is the sucking the fun component out because for me the way a lot of people do it now sucks the fun out because it's so polarizing. If it's a good matchup, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. If it's a bad matchup, he's fundamentally flawed and terrible and needs to go through his bumps. So we're back to Steph Curry is it, what you're saying. It, it, exactly. Where every single game there's a referendum. Yes. On Steph Curry and whether he's good or not. Yes, and that takes the fun out of it. It's for exhausting. Me, for me, Yeah, it's I, I exhausting. I don't know how other people feel, but the the idea of up and down and up and down, and as you said, there's a re- every shot, every stretch has a referendum Here, on it. Here's where I'm at. I like fans are one thing, right? Fan fans do this, like the whole barbershop thing where, you know, it's hot take or whatever. That's I, I can easily ignore that. But if you're an analyst of any sort or or you work in the media and your opinion on someone changes based on even like a five or ten game sample, I I just I'm not paying attention to you. I can't respect you. Like I need to I need to see so much more. I need to see a full season of a guy before I can be like, oh, okay, that's somebody. Much less, you know, I'd need multiple seasons like Pascal Siakam. Ah, he looks like he's going to be something. I'm not worried about what he's doing in this series, but I need to see him do what he did in the regular season next season again before I can be like, you know, I think that's like a top 25 guy. So I, I just, I don't know. I, t- I try to take the long view. Um, I used to be a real baseball nerd, and I used to love taking three-year averages for guys. I think that's a great way to actually see what kind of a baseball player you had. I think basketball might be the same way. I, I prefer the three-year average. I am I am actually going to tease I, I, man i'm going to get myself in trouble by doing this because i'm committing to it but i've been trying to work on a a, a ranking an all-time ranking based on three years wow I, that's the peak to me three years. and you know we didn't talk about this beforehand i totally just led you right into it you, it's, that's how it works yeah that's funny yeah that's good i, I like that yeah the three-year averages man it just makes more sense and um, one year know, can be a fluke. Sure, one year can be a fluke. Two, uh, two, I'm okay with two as well. But that that especially when you get into the the sort of large scale statistical comparisons. Right. I mean, three. I I have an entire sheet of three year stats, three year peaks, three year advanced metrics. Mm-hmm. Cetera, I think that's the way to go. Right. It it cuts out a lot of noise. Um, and and then the other thing is like the playoffs. <laughs> You know, it's uh, if you play if you played seven game series and you won a championship or or you know played in a game seven in the finals, it's only twenty eight games. It's not a big sample. No one's ever played twenty eight games, right? Twenty six. Right. Yeah. So I'm saying, even if you play if you played every single game, it's only twenty eight games. That's yeah. it's just not much. It's it's just over a quarter of a season. So you know we, it's like Donovan Mitchell at the start of the year. You know, first 15 games doesn't look great. And everyone's opinion on Donovan Mitchell changed based on 15 games to start the season in his second year when the scouting reports based on the previous season are as accurate as they're going to get. And he hasn't had a chance to evolve and adjust. And then the rest of the season, Donovan Mitchell is pretty great. He's really good, like borderline third team all NBA. Dave, thanks for coming by. Appreci- Do you have like a hard time? Appreciate it's the a time. podcast, man. You just you because know. here's the problem. Here's the problem. What's up? Do you want to do it two parts? I mean, here's the thing. You just put it on Patreon. Here, here's the thing. All right, well, we're gonna do two parts then. Thanks so much to Dave for stopping by. He did manage to convince me at the end there to record a little bit of additional material and turn it into a patron only podcast. So if I get around to that this weekend, I will release that for patrons over at Patreon.com slash thinking basketball it's patreon.com slash thinking basketball you help me make more of these podcasts you help me make youtube videos and you just generally support 
my content creation in general. Also, one other thing, the stat that we cited in the conversation was Golden State's record without Durant against the spread. So they're 29-4 and against the spread in some 33-game segment. I don't know the details, but I did check the overall record. I thought it sounded funny. The overall record without Durant comes out to something like 28-10 and in the regular season over the last few years. So still fantastic, but not quite what it was. So anyway, once again to Dave, you can follow him on Twitter at DaveDo4NBA. Hope you guys enjoy the Game 7s, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Have a great day.